If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Mark's Gospel as we continue to make our journey through the Scriptures. Mark chapter 9, we'll pick up in where we left off here at verse 30. And for those of you who may be visiting or new online, uh, our way is to teach the whole Bible, from, to give the whole counsel of God. You can't give the whole counsel of God unless you're willing to teach the whole Bible. And so we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, book by book, chapter by chapter. And so this is where we are presently in our journey through the Scriptures. Jesus has, in this particular portion of Scripture, has returned from the mountain of transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John were with him to witness that incredible event. And then as they came down from the mountain, uh, they, uh, there's a, a tumult of people gathered together, quite a crowd, because there's a demon-possessed young man who needs a touch uh, from the Lord and The disciples don't have the faith or the grace to be able to cast out the demon. And so Jesus is able to take care of that. And so now, having finished his journey uh, and his mission to the northern part there around Caesarea Philippi and uh, Mount Hermon, where this transfiguration took place, he's now going back towards the Sea of Galilee. And this is sort of where we pick up... uh, the conversation that has taken place uh, there. And, and and as you compare the other Gospels, it's always good because you get the fuller pictures, as I said before. And um, <clears throat> he's on his journey there, he's telling them what he had told them on the way up to Mount Hermon. And that was that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men and be killed. And so he's repeating that on their journey from Mount Hermon back down to the Galilee. So that sets us up here, and let's pick it up here in verse 30, and we'll read through verse 41 for this morning. Verse 30 reads, They departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand his saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. And last of all, and servant of all. And he took the little child and sent him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, Well, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. And whoever gives you a cup of water 
to drink in the, my name because you belong to Christ. Surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So the disciples here, uh, three, Peter, James, and John, had witnessed uh, the greatness of Jesus. They saw Jesus as they'd never seen him before. Now, they saw a lot about Jesus, walking on the water, working miracles, but never had they seen him, the, what was truly on the inside of him come out. The, the, the flesh at the mountain of transfiguration was sort of pulled back, and the real essence of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, came shining through. And obviously this was a tremendous experience in which he told them to hold it in, hold this information. Don't be telling anyone about what you have seen here until after the resurrection. And so uh, they were privileged um, uh, to see and experience this. And we'll, we're going to talk about that a bit here. So, again, on their way back uh, from the Mount to Galilee, he again reminds them of things to come and how important that is for us. The Lord, if you're paying attention as a Christian, as a believer, there's always a sense, if if you catch it, that God is showing us things to come. He shows us the good things to come often so that when they do happen, our faith is strengthened. It's encouraged. That we know that we're on the right track. And sometimes uh, he's telling us certain things that we may not want to hear. I, uh, a few weeks back, I was reading through the scriptures, and um, we're all fairly, probably all familiar with the book of James, the letter of James. And it, the first chapter talks about trials and tribulations. Well, <clears throat> you know, when you're reading the scriptures, sometimes you, you, you get impressed that this is for you. Now, that's not the portion of Scripture you want to be reading when you get that impression, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I mean, who wants to sign up for trials and tribulations? Me. Hey, I'm here. No, you know, it's like I want to go hide in the back room, right? Crawl under the rug. That doesn't apply to me. Well, not so. So I, I got that, uh, that witness that the Lord was showing me things to come, and they did come, and they have come. And, and I want us to take courage with that because we often resist those kinds of things. We resist suffering for obvious reasons. But if we're going to share in the glory, we must also partake of the sufferings. That the sufferings have a way of keeping us centered. We have these tremendous experiences. Peter, James, and John had a tremendous spiritual experience there on the mountain. But it is through the suffering and the trials that we experience that sort of center us and keep us centered on the Lord. We don't get too puffed up of revelation and knowledge. We're brought, we we stay in touch with our fallenness and we kind of know our limitations and understand how much we need forgiveness and how much we need His Spirit. And so God knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory that way. He watches over us. He doesn't want us to be lifted up or destroyed uh, through pride. And so that's God's way. And, and if we learn and understand that <clears throat> trials are, are meant to strengthen our faith and to draw us close to him, we're not going to be offended. We're not going to resist them. We're going to roll with them. We're going to accept them and we're going to receive the grace necessary. Paul looked at trials and tribulations as 
opportunities for God to demonstrate more grace. And that's why he could make the statement, I glory in tribulations. Now, have we learned that lesson yet? You can answer that question in your own heart. That's one of the ones we have to learn this side of heaven. So, uh, one of the things that these verses do reveal to us as we move on here is that the disciples really uh, did not understand Jesus' mission. Uh, they had uh, an information bias, if you will, uh, stuck in their minds, in their hearts. So when he predicted his, his death, uh, they kind of thought, well, this is some of that spiritual lingo, you know, that Jesus uses. So... Um, We'll figure that out later. Right now we want to figure out who the, who the top guy is here. And, um, you know, I, I kind of have this feeling, and this is what happens when we have tremendous uh, spiritual experiences that maybe other people don't have. There's a tendency to want to, we're, we're more spiritual than they are. and We're, we're at a, bit, <clears throat> a more mature level. <clears throat> Anybody got a bag? You know, <laughs> you know it's, just, it's just nauseous what our flesh can do in our fallen nature, how it can get puffed up. So I imagine these three guys are thinking uh, they're, they're somewhat a little bit more spiritual than the other nine. Well, f- the other eight, for sure, uh, they were on the same level, but the other guy, well, we, you know about him. Uh, but that's beside the point. Um, they're arguing about who the greatest is. And... This is a difficult thing sometimes when we see um, within the church uh, there's this jockeying for position. There seems to be, as we'll get into this a little bit later, more so this this need to be recognized by man. And uh, this is contrary to uh, the kingdom way. We're going to learn uh, what it means to be first and what it means to be a servant. Uh, these are important things. This, this is what it means when uh, we say we're called to greatness. We're called to serve and to wash feet. And the disciples uh, are in the de- developmental stage, just like you and I are. And so we're able to see some of these warts, some of these faults that these men... And I'm so glad that Jesus chose guys like this because seeing these guys gives me hope it should give you hope because they're just like us they're no different they're just plain ordinary fishermen i know we want to put them on a pestle they're the apostles you know well yeah they had a special call in god's sovereignty there's no question about that but understand they were just just like us in so many ways and so uh, you should be able to relate to them and, and not feel bad. I mean, Jesus caught them um, talking. You know, he, he, he knew what was going on there. And he, he was going to deal with it. And they got outed. <laughs> you know, they, well, uh, well, we were talking, um, no comment. <laughs> but it's the way it is, isn't it? Why is it that they were not able to receive the words of Christ in regards to his death and being betrayed and being turned over to the authorities and, and be crucified. As I said earlier, they had this information bias. They had been taught as a nation that when Messiah comes, 
that he's going to rule. He'll be a conquering Messiah. They didn't realize that the first thing that needed to be accomplished and the first thing that Messiah needed to uh, conquer was the problem of sin. Nobody uh, in this present form in our fallen state is fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Before entrance into the kingdom of heaven, one had to be forgiven. There had to be a change in nature. And they didn't understand any of that. And just like ourselves, as we begin to walk with the Lord, there's so many things that we just don't understand and we don't comprehend. We sort of transfer the things that we've learned in our Gentile mentality and the kingdoms of men, the business world. We want to transfer those principles somehow into the kingdom, but it's an upside-down kingdom for us. It's, it's diametrically different in, in opposition to what we're used to. And so it's a learning process for all of us. And this is um, a process that God is very patient in working in all of us. So if you see imperfections in your brother, your sister, yourself, it's okay. We're growing. We're going to learn. We'll learn together. We'll make mistakes together, but we're going to grow through it. And so this is, we're on the right track is what's important here. Now, uh, again, it tells us uh, in one of the other scriptures, I think it's Luke chapter 9, that it was actually hidden from them. When he mentioned that he was going to die and be killed, the the meaning of it was hidden, partially because they were so self-involved. They were had, were debating about who the greatest was and not realizing that Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom. It shouldn't have even been an argument. Like, he's the greatest, fall in line afterwards, right? Well, uh, so much of our ignorance is because we're self-involved. We're we're. Con- Concerned about our position and our place uh, in the kingdom. We're not thinking about others or the Lord. It's just, you know, what is it that God has for me? And when you have a self-indulgent, a self-centered approach, things of God are hidden. Things are revealed to us when we humble ourselves and seek God on that manner and realize that we have no position. It's whatever God wants that matters, not what we want. So we need... In our bias, in our information bias, it's important that we are open to receive input. I think my uh, eschatology is right, my end times view, but I could be wrong. I need, I need to be open to input and other viewpoints that could uh, maybe shed a little bit more light on what may be coming in the future. And you got, there's a myriad of subjects that fit into this. You know, we think we've got it wired. We think we understand. We think we know. Well, and it's a very difficult thing to go to the Scriptures regularly and just just open the Scriptures and allow it to speak. So much of the time we have a, our spiritual theology glasses on and we look through that lens and this is what we see rather than just letting the Scripture itself speak to us. That is a difficult, difficult uh discipline to conquer you open the old testament for example and you begin to read about the lord and then you read about us let us make man in our image what pops into your mind trinity right well there may be more to that verse than you realize we in the old testament people who before the new testament was written and the and the jews would have looked at it that a little bit differently 
and we'll, we don't have time to go into that discussion right now. I'm just saying, we, those are the kind of things we have to be careful of. Be open to what others may have to say, but more importantly, as I read the scriptures, the Bible tells us, and this is very important here, you have an unction from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He is your teacher. You ever been reading the scriptures and all of a sudden it just it's almost like the verses jump off the page like, whoa, I didn't see that before. That's really cool. Well, that's the unction that I'm talking about. If we allow the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide, he'll open our eyes and he'll be uh, in showing us what's there and what's important. We don't need to be involved with our status and our privilege within the kingdom. That attitude of superior superiority um, is something that the Gentiles in the Gentile world is in, uh, consumed with, actually. That's not what it's about when it comes to the body of Christ. Not at all. Now, I do want to say there, there is the other side of the coin here. Peter, James, and John seem to have a different relationship, a more intimate and closer relationship with Jesus than did the other nine. And I'm not sure what reasons that were. There could have been a couple different reasons. Uh, they could have been the troublemakers. <laughs> you, know, as a, you know, as a teacher, uh, if you've got a couple, uh, let's just call them knuckleheads, in the classroom, what do you normally do? Because they'll just take over the class and they'll, they just make it difficult. You bring them up front and you set them right there where you can keep an eye on them. Now, they could have easily fit into that category based on their personality types, especially Peter. But on the other hand, and this is probably true, most uh, where the truth, the biggest share of the truth would lie, I believe, um, is it's just the sovereign call of God. And this is how what I want you to, to, to grasp here this morning. The sovereign call of God to greatness that's on your life. You have a call to greatness. Now, how do I know that? Because that's what the scriptures teach us. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5 are the template. Now, when we read this about Jeremiah, we think, well, that's just Jeremiah. Uh, okay. If you want to you wanna keep it on that level, that's fine, but I think you should embrace the pattern that has been set for us. It says there that the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, I'm going to allow all of us to drop that last phrase, uh, to the nations. Not everybody has a global ministry, and nobody ha not everybody has a, a national ministry in that regard. But what we do have is that God knows us. God knows everyone that would be conceived and, and everyone that was born into this world. And he formed them. Each one of us, God has formed. Now you can argue with what he formed later when you get on the other side. <laughs> Maybe you don't like what God formed. Well... We place a lot more emphasis on the physical than we should. This is temporal. This is just your tent. You're camping out on earth. You get that? And pretty soon you're the, we're going to break camp and we're going to fly away and we're going to be in his presence with a new body. And that one you will not have a problem with, guaranteed. Uh, not at all. But he formed us. 
He sanctified us. This is the important part. Sim- simply means set apart. He's the one that's setting us apart from the world unto himself. And then I ordained you. Now, some of us have different, we all have different callings in that regard. But whatever your calling is, you've been ordained by God for that. And I want you to embrace that. He will give you the grace and the mercy and the wherewithal to fulfill that mission. And every, when you look at that mission and what you've been called to, you'll have the same response that Jeremiah had. I'm just a child. I can't speak. I can't do this. I'll be with you. I'll put the words in your mouth. Do not be like Moses and make ex- send somebody else. Make excuses. I can't speak. Hey, you know what? All of us feel that way. Everyone that's embraced the call of God, this call to greatness, greatness is being in the kingdom of God. All of us feel inadequate, ill-prepared, not up to it. But God's grace is sufficient. So do not pull back from what God has ordained for you. Embrace it. Run with it. Dream big. God's put that in your DNA. I will write it on their heart. What is, and that's what I want you to do. That's the call of God. To examine your heart. What is in your heart? And I often say this to people. If you had your druthers, you know, your, your druthers, <laughs> What would you do? What would you be if time and money and all those things that we make excuses why we can't do what we feel like we should do in our heart were no longer were eliminated and you could be this or do this, what would it be? And as it's a God-honoring dream, that is probably what God has called you to do. And you need to figure out how to humble yourself before him to, to find out how to fulfill that. Every one of us have to follow that. It's, sometimes it's just too intimidating for people. Man, I don't think that could happen. And it requires faith. You can't do it, but God can do it through you. And that's the encouragement for all of us uh, this morning. God can do it through you if you let him. I want to get... Uh, into the meat of this here. So I'm going to skip down here uh, to our second point here in regards to uh, this greatness and kind of amplify how Jesus uh, set this up perfectly. Now they had been arguing about who was the greatest among them. And rather than having this direct approach, uh, Jesus comes by an indirect approach, you know, and asking questions uh, is a good way of setting people up. Um, what is it you uh, fellows were talking about? Uh-oh. <laughs> and rather than just, you know, you know you guys are just a bunch of dumb fishermen, right? He would never say anything like that. The Lord is too kind and too gracious. So for some of you blunt personalities, some of us are more blunt and straightforward like that, and that's not always bad. But sometimes the direct approach is not the best approach. But if you're like me that doesn't like confrontation, the indirect beat around the bush approach is not always the best one either, but it does 
help sometimes to be a little more indirect. You can still get to where you want to go. You're just going to take a little longer to get there, right? You follow me here. But the reason why I believe the direct approach in certain places when the person is really in the wrong and there's issues going on here is because when we are confronted, what is the natural response to that? You get defensive. And if you're in a defensive mode and in that kind of position, you're not too open to be, to be teachable, to be taught anything. And so um, the Lord knows how. You know, we might be resisting correction in an area, and this is what the Holy Spirit's so good at. We might be resisting, but when we yield, and you ever notice how gentle, when you're humble, humbled yourself before the Lord, and he begins to convict you of, of things that need to change in your life, he doesn't condemn you, and you've, oh, you just break, right? That is how loving and kind he is. He just says, this needs to change. Rather than making you feel condemned, you just get convicted and then you bring it to him and you ask, Lord, please, please do that special work in me that only you can do. And then sometimes it's like, the, it's like a big, to me it's like a big wheel. It's like the potter's wheel, right? It just goes round and around. And you know, you, you kind of go through the same things over and over at different levels of intensity you know it's kind of like on that wheel there might be like a lump that needs to get dealt with and so it goes around and it only hits the potter's hand once in every rotation but if that's the lump that he feels and senses is there and it's got to go it's got to go but he doesn't poke it he doesn't stop the wheel he doesn't just grab the you know, the clay and throw it away. God's not that way. It's like, well, we'll do, we can deal with this. It's going to take a lot of rotations, right? And then after a while, it's smoothed out, it's transformed, it's no longer there. And so this is the hope that God gives us in his love and grace and changing us. Because he's called us to greatness. He's called us to be servants. And we have no idea what that is when we're, born into this world. It's me, me, I, I, I want, I want, self, the, we are the epitome of self-centeredness as we grow. But this chapter gives us a few guidelines in regards to servanthood. They had been arguing. They were embarrassed about their situation. They remained quiet. And so Jesus just lays it down here. The first, you want to be first? You want to be the top dog? You have to be last because it's the last that are first. Now, he uses a child as an illustration here. And no doubt as this child is sitting on the lap of Jesus and he's, I mean, it's just a perfect illustration of what he's trying to convey. And we're going to look at some of the things about children. Um, You know, children are normally taught to go after adults. I'll let the adults go first. You know. You know, kids are meant to be seen, not heard, you know. <laughs> and so they get this, you know, oppression at an early age. Now what we're trying to do normally uh, is that we're trying to teach the little people that they have to learn to respect their elders. 
You know, it's a good thing uh, that kids, children learn to respect those that are older. But it's the idea of, of their willingness to be last, their willingness to be submissive. And I believe that uh, that's crucial. It's critical for our spiritual development that we have that same willingness to be last and to be submissive. And one of the ways that, uh, or a few ways actually, that children demonstrate uh, servanthood is that they're non-resistant. They do what their parents tell them. Okay, Uh, they're surrendered. They're surrendered to the will of another. That's what a servant is. They have to do whatever their master wants. They're, they don't have rights. Their rights are only the ones that are, and freedoms are the ones that are given to them by their master. And so there's that surrendered will that's so important. And then, as I said, to be submissive. They do what they are told. And then Jesus told us what kind of perspective we should have when it comes to being a slave and doing what we're told is not after we've heard what we're supposed to do and we do it, don't expect to be thanked for it. Now, this is contrary to the Gentile world and the contrary to uh, the business world. Whatever we do, we want to be recognized for. We want to be paid for it, and, and nicely, by the way, and we deserve it. And so that's directly opposite of a slave. He realizes, I don't deserve anything. I'm just supposed to do what I'm told, and don't not to expect thanks. Well, thank you know, thanks for that. You know, <laughs> uh, that's just the way it is. But children, um, they're sort of like that. They sort of it's easy to ignore your children after a while. It's like, oh my, they just annoy me. You know, they're just so noisy all the time, and and I want, I need. You know, well, uh, that's the, that's the way it is. You know, you can scream and holler all you want on the inside, but don't expect it to be met always. So they're non-resistant, they're submissive, they're accepting. They accept the information that they're being given. And um, usually children, and I'm speaking of the younger age, are they're non-skeptical. They're not, oh, that, that adult's lying to me. No, it's the opposite. They believe pretty much everything that you tell them. They're very accepting uh, of things. They take things at face value. So uh, this is... This is what's supposed to happen in the kingdom. I've learned over the years the best way to approach people when I don't know them and they're introducing themselves. I I think the most loving approach, and I can be taken advantage of through this, but I feel like this is what the Spirit of God has taught me over the years. All people are considered godly until proven otherwise. All people are considered godly until proven otherwise. And and that's based upon love. Love thinks no evil. Oh, that guy's coming in here because he wants to rip me off. I mean, that's you don't want to approach people like that. They're just that's kind of backwards. What, how can you do that? You're gonna get taken advantage of. They're gonna you know, someone's gonna rip you off with that kind of attitude. It's possible. But I trust God. I trust God for him to give me discernment and to protect me. He's my shield. He's my fortress. He's the one I run to. I trust him. He's called me to love people. That's what he's called me to do. And that's, and that's the thing about children. They're naturally loving and kind. Not always, but uh, generally speaking, that's the, what they are. So, um, And just those characteristics of humility. Uh, you know, you can't make it into the kingdom without humility. 
We all have to humble ourselves before the Lord before we can enter into the kingdom. They're trusting. They trust adults. We're to trust our Heavenly Father. They're forgiving. We need to drop the grudges and learn to forgive those who offend us. You ever notice that? They don't hold grudges. Oh, yeah, it's okay. I'm so, you know, they are so quick to forgive. When you say, I'm sorry to a child, it's like, it's okay. It's precious, isn't it? That's the way God wants us to be with one another. And then they're teachers. One thing, uh, they're teachable, rather. Uh, they're, they're learners. They like to learn. And, of course, we don't, as adults, really appreciate that question stage. Wait, they can ask so many questions. Well, what about this? Well, how does that work? But what about that? And I was going to ask you about, you know, <laughs> cease, you know. <laughs> they wear us out. But you know what? Our Heavenly Father has no, has lots of patience with us concerning our questions. So um, we're to be childlike. Now, that's not childish, right? But childlike. Childishness is immaturity, but childlikeness is, is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. I, I think it's wonderful when you think about children. We love kids. They're just, we learn so much from them if we're paying attention. Um, that innocence is just precious. And when, you know, there's, in that naivety, there's a purity. And I think this is what God sees when he's talking. And, and I think this is some of the things that Jesus was trying to communicate. Generally speaking, children are so, are compassionate. They love animals. They're, they, poor cats get choked by them. <laughs> they just drag them around, you know. It's just, you know, it's just precious to see things. They see things sort of black and white. It is this way or it is that way. There isn't any, you know, <clears throat> ulterior motives. Let me see. You know, they don't have that analytical mind developed yet. And, and they're persistent little guys. <laughs> I want, I want. But what about this? They'll bargain. They'll negotiate. They'll wear you out until they get what they want. And I think that's an important quality for Christians to have, especially when it comes to prayer, that we are to be persistent. We, we've heard that from Jesus as well, about persistent in our prayer time. You know, and the thing about little people is that they pretty much live stress-free lives. You ever notice that? Time pressure? <clears throat> there are exceptions. I had a son that was, I think, as young as three. I know, I know for sure four. We get in the car. What time is it? I'm thinking, you're four. It doesn't matter to you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We did get him a watch at an early age, though. <laughs> but they're, they're not time conscious. I mean, they're just, they live stress-free lives in that regard. It's just more about learning and observing and, and all. And so the reality of this harsh world is not important to them. So what does that say to us? We should be living stress-free lives. We learn to roll our pressure situations over to God. Learn to plan better so that we don't have time pressure, right? Reality that we think to be reality is subject to God's move. And so what 
appears to be real and dangerous and no way out is not a problem for God. It's a faith issue for us. And the thing about little children, too, that's very valuable is that they lack self-consciousness. You, now, they do get... Because of the invention of the mirror, <laughs> they uh, do get caught up in <clears throat> a little narcissism. But generally speaking... Uh, they're not self-conscious about things. They just kind of are who they are, and they just kind of let it be as it is. And that's attractive to God when it comes to you and I. And that's really, I think, why he chose <clears throat> the particular disciples that he did. These guys were not pretentious. They were hardworking fishermen, hardworking tax collectors, <laughs> hardworking doctors, right? <clears throat> or whatever their, excuse me, <clears throat> their profession was. And uh, that's that's who they were. So they didn't pretend to be something uh, that they weren't, but they uh, did want to be something um, great. And I bring that back to you and to myself. There is written within each of our hearts this call to greatness. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to count. And that has been put there by the by the DNA that God made you out of. It's there for a reason. Your greatness will be made manifest through your willingness to adapt and conform to having a servant's heart. Jesus did not come into this world to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. You and I are to follow that pattern. We were not born to be served in this life we were born again into the kingdom of God so we could serve others. And that is the call upon our lives. And it is in that servitude that you find out who you are and you come to know the Lord. It's a wonderful thing as we lay down our lives. I want to come to the, a close here with the message and we're going to sing and we're going to worship together. But I... Know that within each of our hearts, there, there's just so much about God that we don't know. And this was the cry of Moses and the Old Testament saints that are written there, and especially of Paul and his writings. I want to know God. I want to see God. I want to understand God. And I think that's, you know, how many times do we find ourselves, I just don't understand what God's doing right now. There's just, that's, that's just our life. We are ignorant of so much. But I believe that this with all my heart. And I think the scriptures will bear that out. I think you will see that in a moment here. When we d allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, then we become others-centered. We, we become Christ-like. And we begin to wash feet and serve other people. That is when insight becomes a reality. We begin to see the nature and character of God come off the pages like we've never seen before. It, and it, when we adapt it, it soon becomes as natural to do acts of work and service for others as it does to serve yourself. It just, it's just what you do. And see, that's, what, that's one thing about the disciples that they didn't figure out until later on after Jesus was gone. But his enemies, Jesus' enemies knew Jesus' nature 
better than the disciples at the time of his earthly ministry. That's why they set the guy there in the, in, in the, in the synagogue at the door. Because they knew that when Jesus was going to walk through that door, he'd see that guy with the withered hand, and he wouldn't just blow right on by. He couldn't. When there was a true need, a true need, he would meet that need. <clears throat> he couldn't help himself. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is. So they set him up. And, of course, Jesus wasn't going to disappoint. <laughs> and we know the story. He made him come forward and perform that healing. But it's in the service of others. And it's in laying down your rights and becoming other-centered that you receive insight from God. Turn with me to John chapter 2. And this is verse 9. This is the first miracle that Jesus performed. Cana of Galilee. And so they run out of Wine. Many of us are familiar with this story, but I'm going to draw your attention to verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. What do servants do? They follow orders. These servants just did what they were told. Hey, fill these vat, these vas that are here with water. Fill them to the brim. And so they did that. We do what we're told and we leave the results to God. It's not our job to worry about what happens or how this works. Our job is simply follow orders, do what you are told. Don't try to think it. Don't try to figure it out. Just do what you're told. Now notice the contrast here. The master of the feast did not know. The guy that's on top, that's calling the shots, that's in charge, did not know where the wine came from. Didn't you, don't you love this? It's the servants who know. It's the servants that receive, receive the insight, the understanding. They knew how God worked. If they follow the orders, good things are going to happen. Glory is going to be brought to God. In this case, they saved the Family from embarrassment. It's a wonderful insight there. Real quickly here. What can destroy the work of God that he's doing in your life, in your family's life, in your local church's life, is what we see back in Mark chapter 9 there that we read. Nine or thirty-eight through forty-one, it is this judgmental attitude. It isn't that is not childlike, by the way. That is not what servants are called to do. When we get to thinking that only our church really knows the truth, 
It's like no different than Peter, James, and Dunsley. Well, we're more spiritual than you are because we got to see Jesus transformed on the mountain of transfiguration. There's more going on in our church than your church. Your church is probably dead, but our church is alive. Now, we might not say that, but we can act it that way. We can get puffed up with what God is doing, and we can begin to take credit. We've got to be careful. Don't ever touch the glory. I like what Billy Graham, whether you love him or not, um, he had a couple things right, especially for preachers. Don't touch the money, don't touch the women, and don't touch the glory. Those are the things that we have, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the things that we all have to deal with. And this is exclusivity that we're prone to, comparing ourselves to, hey, they're not with us, we stop them. We don't recognize them as being part of the body of Christ because, well, you know, they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. Is that your problem? (laughs) Is that my problem? (laughs) No. That's God's problem. See, the thing about this whole issue is when you become a servant, you have no rights. You know, we can't be judgmental because you realize what it takes and requires to be a judge, don't you? If you are a judge, you are no longer, what, James, what does James say? You're no longer a doer of the word, but a judge. There's only one judge. Why can't we judge? Because we don't have enough knowledge. And therefore, our judgments would be, impartial, would be partial. Without complete knowledge, your judgment cannot be without impartiality. And it's sad, but that's the truth. We leave all judgment to God. I th- wouldn't be surprised in, in saying these last things that that little child is still on his lap. Little children are not judgmental. They don't walk around condemning adults, although they might not be happy with adults on occasion. That's not what they do. Don't despise these little ones. Don't despise these ones that, that maybe don't understand and grasp the things that you do or see the things that you do. Or do things differently than you do. That's why you know, Calvary Chapel is here. Not because we're better. That's not even on the radar. We're different because there's other people that are different than go to those other denominational churches. They all, we, all these have their place. Just like there's a myriad of personalities. I think that's why God has allowed denominationalism. There's some people that if you start, you know, raising your hands and get a little what we call Pentecostal, that's just not that comfortable some, for some people, and they just, you know, can't handle it. And there are those that just need a perfect liturgy. It's got to be in the set order all the time, or I just can't worship God. I mean, some people are just, they're, they're that, and God accommodates that. He's not offended by it. He's looking upon the heart. So there's the... There's room for all of us in the spectrum of churches. There just happens to be a number of people that like a more casual, respectful approach to our worship and, uh, and, to, and going through the Word. And so uh, we're not going to judge ourselves. Every church body is different. Every denomination is different. And they all have their positions and placement. And God will use those uh, differences in, for his glory. And this is uh, important for us to uh, recognize. If we're servants, we're just going to let it slide.
We're not going to let that attitude get in the way of God working through us to achieve what he's called us to. He's called us to greatness. He's called us to servitude. He's called us to be servants. And here's the other thing. Some of you think, well, I I don't want to be rewarded for what I do. I don't want to be recognized for what I do. That's good. That's not why we do it. And that's not why we, you know, because, you know, if we sound the bells and the alarms and we get, oh, wow, that was so good. Oh, pat, 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 you know. Well, and that's what you were doing it for and you got it, then that's your reward. But most of us have grown through that, right? And we want what Jesus said, the reward that we'll get on the other side. Now, rewards are not our idea. And that's really not our motivation. As you walk with the Lord, it's just, it needs to be done. It needs to be taken care of. So a servant just takes care of it. You guys get up and go to work because it needs to be done. Your family needs to be <clears throat> provided for. You just do it. You don't get thanked for it. Well, maybe once in a while. But you're not, you're not looking for that. And that's, that's the way it's to be. That's our attitude. But I can tell you this. The best accountant of all is God. Everything that you do in his name is being recorded. Everything that you have said and done to bless others is being recorded. And nothing that is worthy of reward will be unrewarded. It will all be rewarded. I mean, look at that. A glass of water, a drink. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so, may God help us this week. Just understand the call that he has upon our lives. He knows you. He formed you. He's sanctified you. He's ordained you to greatness. Father, we thank you that you have done this for us. And now, we want to take this time, Lord, to lift our voices and just celebrate your greatness, your goodness. So fill us with your spirit. Fill this place overflowing with your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, shall we stand?